Welcome in to the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe, where you stay up to date in 48 on all things NBA. I'm Ross Geiger, the host of the show, and this is episode number 14. Tonight, things are back in order with both co-hosts in the house here, Bruce Bernstein of Pure Hoops Media and World B, Michael Freer. Bruce, let's go ahead and start with you and give us a brief recap on your vacation. Well, uh, I just got back from uh, South Florida, three days driving on the road, uh, left on Friday, drove all day Friday, all day Saturday, all day Sunday, stayed with friends, stayed with family in Charleston and Richmond. Uh, and I definitely recommend doing that trip in three days instead of two. It makes a huge difference. <laughs> all right. And World B, how are you doing after you you know been demoted? You're not a GM anymore. Uh, took those privileges away. Uh, you hanging in there? Oh, I'm I'm very relieved. It's it's a thankless <laughs> job. If you don't win the title, it's a thankless job. I saw Moneyball, and I I remember uh, Brad Pitt saying, "If you don't win the final game, it doesn't mean anything." So, I uh, I feel relieved. All right, glad to hear that. I've been checking hoops hype, and I haven't seen your name appear yet for a uh, candidate for the Lakeland Magic. But you know, I've been I've been writing it in it, <laughs> to no end. So I don't know how you missed it. All right. Well, glad to hear you. you both are doing well, Bruce. Glad to have you back. Let's go ahead and start with you for the opening tip tonight. Well, the darlings of the early season uh, were the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, but the month of January, which has one more day, has been a month to forget. Uh, they've lost eight straight through Sunday. They're now tied for number seven in the West with Dallas and Phoenix. They peaked at 23-12 and 12 on December 30th, but they've gone 3-13 and 13 with 10 of those 16 games on the road. Uh, Zion Williamson, the all-star, uh, has only played twice since December 31st. And he's going to miss at least another week with that right hamstring strain. Uh, their big three, Zion, uh, Brandon Ingram, and C.J. McCollum, all missed that Sunday game against Milwaukee when Giannis dropped 50 on them. And it's not going to get any easier moving forward. Their next five games at Denver, at Dallas, versus the Lakers, versus Sacramento, versus Atlanta – I think if they could manage to go two and three in those five games, that would be a, a positive outcome for those guys. So hopefully they'll get some of their guys back and uh, get somewhere close to full strength moving forward. Yeah, definitely a cause for concern in NOLA right now with uh, how that um, late going has been going for them. So definitely feel you there, Bruce. My opening tip is actually themed, and I'm going to go for something called good measure. And I'm going to start on Saturday night. Uh, Joel Embiid hit a three after time expired as kind of an explanation point on his fantastic performance and victory over the back-to-back -back MVP, Nikola Jokic. All right. You know, of course, he was just snubbed, not named a Eastern Conference starter in this year's game. And he responded well Saturday, going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Joker. He scored 47 points on 18 of 31 shooting, four of seven from three. 18 boards, five assists, three steals, two blocks. Not much that guy didn't do on the floor. And uh, boy, was that quite a response as uh, World B and I had talked about maybe playing with the chip on the shoulder in that Saturday night game. Sure, we'll talk about that game a little bit further. And then another for good measure uh, performance as of late was Giannis just last night. As you mentioned, Bruce dropped 50 points at home against the shorthanded Pelicans. And he hit two consecutive threes to reach 50 points down the stretch in that one in the last two minutes of the ball game. And, you know, not to mention that second triple, not sure if you guys saw it. He hit that one from about 30 feet. I mean, it was Curry range on that second one. 
And so just two great MVP performances by both Embiid and Giannis and uh, knocking down some late game triples, whether they counted or not, they were for a good measure. Will B? Yeah, uh, keeping with the MVP theme, uh, I'm thinking at this point we're heading towards a classic MVP finish in terms of who's going to win the margin between uh, first and second and maybe first and third. You know, there could be one of the closest ever. Uh, I went back and looked at, for people interested. 1990 was the closest uh, finish ever with Magic beating uh, Charles Barkley by just 22 points. And Michael Jordan finished third. There were only 72 points separating the three of them. It was a classic finish. You can make the argument for all three of them. And since then, there's been one uh, back in 2005 when Steve Nash got the nod over Shaq, uh, believe it or not, by just 34 points. So we're. I think we're looking for another close. We talked about last year how close it was, if you remember, because there were so many good players and candidates. But there was still a 169-point difference between, you know, uh, the Joker and Embiid. I think we're heading for an even closer finish. And we have four legitimate candidates at the moment between Joker, Embiid, Giannis, Tatum, and Luka, who was off to a great start on Monday night, has kind of fallen out of the top four, but he could easily find himself getting in the mix with some of the performances he's capable of. Sure. And you mentioned those uh, top candidates for this year's MVP. And that kind of leads us right into our first quarter. Let's talk about a guy that didn't make your list there of, of the six that you mentioned, LeBron James and the LA Lakers. That LeBron's fallout continues to happen as he is sitting out tonight playing against the Brooklyn Nets. Of course, they lost in a controversial game uh, ending in Boston on Saturday as well. And um, Bruce, let's start with you. What do you think about what's going on right now with King James and the Lake Show? Well, I've never made any secret of the fact of what an admirer of LeBron James I am. He's always been really kind of my favorite player, even though he's never played for a team that I rooted for. That said, I'm going to have to mix some sports metaphors here and call balls and strikes on LeBron James right now. Uh, yes, he was fouled, but his reaction was so over the top because A, it was against the Celtics, and B, it was on an ABC primetime game. If this had happened against the Wizards, let's say on a Monday night, I think his reaction would have been a lot less crazed than it was. I mean, look, officiating LeBron is a hard job for the referees. I'm friends with Steve Javi, and hopefully he'll join us on a show one of these weeks. But he told me one time that officiating LeBron is such a hard job because he's so strong. He plays through a lot of contact. He's finished many a layup while getting hammered at the rim with no whistle. This was a foul. There's no doubt about it. But he's finished strong through much worse contact than that. So, yeah, call went against you. But his reaction, and, and I have more to say about this as we go through this discussion, but I thought that his reaction uh, and what's happened since then uh, has not reflected well on him. Will be your take? Well, uh, first things first, I agree that he was fouled on the play. But what everybody seems to forget is that in order to get to that point where he was fouled on the play, he took about three and a half steps. So I know traveling <laughs> is allowed in the NBA, but that was that was pretty bad. And I understand his reaction. I don't 
necessarily disagree with Bruce's take on the fact that it was on ABC. It was prime time. It's a chance to show I as a as a reason for LeBron's reaction. But I would say this. It was a really big moment for the Lakers to get a win like that because you're going up against the best team in the league. It is Lakers Celtics. I, I'm sure he took that seriously. But more importantly, they really needed a key win like that to jumpstart a pretty tough road trip for them where they go into Brooklyn with apparently don't need the LeBron or AD tonight at this point. They're doing <laughs> very well. And then you get the Knicks in the garden after that. So it's a really a big road trip for them. And to get a win to start it would have been huge. And uh, call it again, your intensity or whatever. I don't disagree it was over the top. And I don't even disagree that maybe ABC you know, being on national TV had a lot to do with it. But I do think the, the, the rivalry and how important that game was probably played as much of a factor in, in his reaction as just, you know, being on camera. Yeah, and speaking of reactions, maybe the refs were just uh, surprised he didn't pass it off. Maybe they forgot to blow their whistle because he typically passes in those type of situations late late game down the stretch. They thought he was going to, you know, force a kickout play and make Lonnie Walker or somebody shoot a, a dire three in desperation and uh, the game would go to overtime. But obviously it was a uh, poorly missed call, but these things happen across the NBA throughout the season. It's part of the game. There's human error. And, um, you know, Bruce, one thing I'm very particular in hearing from you about having worked at ESPN and then also just being a Boston fan, uh, talk a little bit about maybe the media that went on after the play and a player getting involved with uh, some media, should we say. Well, first of all, let me just add one thing. Since the entire planet and probably most of the solar system has been so up in arms over this, I think LeBron will probably get every call for at least the next week when he decides to start playing yeah. again. The refs are going to give him every call. I mean, it's it, just watch. I mean, you know, you won't see well, it on Monday night because he's not. Oh, playing. oh goody! He's playing yeah. in the Garden Tuesday. Oh goody! Oh yeah, uh, he'll I get the line. I get that to look forward to. <laughs> he'll be Jericho Sims. Yeah, Jericho Sims will have four fouls in the first quarter. You watch. Oh, here's the question. Let's 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 look online on the gambling sites and see if there's going to be an over under on LeBron's free throws before the start of the game. Ooh, okay. Interesting. Will, will they let him take a free throw before the game starts and make up for <laughs> the other night? All right. So now I said I was going to call balls and strikes on LeBron, who I've said how much I admire. Now let's talk about the hypocrisy coming from him. <laughs> He's sitting it out on Monday night against a tough Brooklyn team led by Kyrie Irving, right? LeBron still had a chance to win that game in overtime on Saturday night, but he did not, okay? Now he has a chance to get a much-needed win against the Nets, but he's now load-managing. So I guess one win isn't as important to him unless it's against Boston versus against Brooklyn, okay? Um, he's, now, he's, he's not playing. Is he hurt? If the gravity of the missed call was so enormous, why isn't he on the court on Monday night helping his team get a win to kind of counter that tough loss on Saturday? Good point. I, I don't know. That's a great question. I mean, you pose a good one there as far as, you know, the head scratch you move not to play tonight. World B, do you have any thoughts on that outside of just not looking forward to tomorrow night with him being well rested for uh, the Garden? Well, it, it's pretty clear that they decided which game was going to be an L and which game they had a better shot at. 
Um, I don't know why you would think a Nets team without uh, KD is suddenly a law put it in the loss column. Uh, but if you know the factor could be if you know Anthony Davis sat out Monday night, if he's actually injured, then maybe it does become a tougher game. So let's sit out LeBron, give AD a chance to get healthy. Maybe we get everybody back for the Garden, uh, which will be on national TV as well as Bruce knows <laughs> TNT will have that game. So there's another chance to uh, showcase my my uh, late game uh, demonstrative gestures, I suppose, is the best way to put it, uh, when things don't go my way. But, you know, I I think he probably wanted to play at the Garden and he had to sit out one of the two games. If that, if that was the case, I don't think he had to sit out. I I have strong feelings about the load management thing as well. I don't understand why it's suddenly an issue. Um, the NBA is trying to schedule better than they have in the past. We see a lot, of, lot more back-to-backs versus the same team than we have. I, I don't have the numbers on it, whatever, but I see a lot of uh, games where the Magic a few weeks ago go up to Boston, play on a Friday, play again on a Sunday with Saturday off. Minnesota Sacramento and Sacramento. Right now. Yeah. yeah. Minnesota and Sacramento are playing the second game of a back-to-back, spanned over three days. That happens a lot more than it has in the past. The NBA is trying to do something about load management. I think getting guys enough rest, I just the players had the power, and if I don't want to play, if I want to give it a rest, I'm going to give it a rest. And I don't. I'm sorry if every starter for Golden State had to sit on the one trip they make to Cleveland a couple weeks ago, and Steve Kerr gets in the press conference and apologizes, and then says he needs a shorter schedule. Shorter schedule doesn't matter. That's not what does it. You just didn't want it. You want to rest. I mean. It, it, we could spend the rest of this show talking about load management, but I'll let it go with that. I think it's a, uh, it's a crock. <laughs> it's just a crock. And this isn't to overwork anybody. If you're injured, you're injured, obviously, but there's a lot of cases where guys, if we see LeBron Tuesday night at the garden, we know his ankle was just fine on Monday. Yeah. And let me talk about Cleveland real quick here. They're really getting the short end of the stick here. Um, they played the Clippers last night. Clippers sat Reggie Jackson, Covington, Paul George, Kawhi, and Marcus Morris. So that's almost two weekends in a row of kind of Western Conference marquee yeah. games, and they're not seeing any stars. The one time they come to the come to Cleveland, you know, these are the league's bet, you know, high profile players: Kawhi Leonard, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and they just all just happen to sit out. And all you get are apologies. Well, you know, I just spent two hundred dollars for myself and my you know kids to go to a game and I all I get out of it is an apology. Well that doesn't sit with me. Can we circle back for a minute to, to Saturday night and and Patrick Beverly? Yes. Um, please. He cost he also cost his team with that silly attempt to show up the ref that uh, that cost his team a point on the technical foul. Okay. He gets a lot of street cred, okay, for having supporting his teammates and all this baloney. I give him zero street cred for that. I think the guy's a knucklehead for the most part. That point could have mattered a lot. What if they lost by one in overtime? What if the game went to a second overtime tied because he gave away a point? I think if if I was uh, in charge of discipline for the league, 
I would be fining him at least 25 grand for that little move. I think it was disrespectful. It was stupid. Uh, and uh, if the league kind of lets stuff like that go and, you know, they give tech, they give fines for a lot less stupid things than showing for up sure. a referee on national TV. So I believe that should, that should cost uh, Patrick Beverly some money. Yeah, and the, the best way I know how to put it, Bruce, is a pitcher is worth a thousand words. And uh, it definitely was in that regard with Patrick Beverly. I mean, I'll even go as far as saying that's just bad mojo heading into the uh, first overtime. I mean, you're down a point. Yes, it's only a point, but that's still like on the road in a, in a, in a game like against Boston. That's just not a way you want to start the extra five minutes. So I, that's just not you know, putting yourself your, yourself or your team in a really good position to like have any forward momentum. And of course they lost all that momentum with the missed call and the overreaction from LeBron. He's just adding to it with an over the top, like not needed action. So. Yeah. And look, what if, what if the game came down to, you know, being down by three instead of two with your chance, you know, you might've needed a three instead of a, a dunk or a couple free throws to tie. It was just, you know, every, you know, I don't know that I've heard a whole lot of people discuss the stupidity of that because it kind of got drowned out in the bigger picture, but Pat Bev uh, has never, ever in my mind been what I would call a really like, you know, uh, high hoop IQ. He's an aggressive guy. He's a good hype man on the bench and whatever, but, uh, his, his basketball IQ is is wanting, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think Suns fans would agree with you there, Bruce. They're not too big or too fond of uh, Pat Bev with his antics with Chris Paul over the past couple seasons. But right. let's go ahead and get into our second quarter here. And um, I'm happy to report with you both that the Milwaukee Bucks are starting to finally round into form. Chris Middleton was back in their last game. Giannis dropped a 50-piece. Let's talk a little bit about them, and we'll be. I'll go ahead and start off with you. What have you been seeing from the Bucks? Well, they you know four in a row, six out of seven is always good, um, and they're suddenly a factor again. Uh, just when you you're scratching your head trying to figure out what's wrong with them, they look like they're a factor again. I would say I'll say two things. First thing is they've been getting off to really good starts in these games. They haven't played Murderer's Row's schedule during these four wins. You know, it came against Detroit, Indiana, the Pelicans who are shorthanded right now, and Denver, which didn't have jokage for the game. Yeah. However, in those games, it, outside of Denver, they trailed after the first. They led by they led Detroit by 25 after the first. They led Indiana by 15 after the first. And they led the Pelicans by 18 after the first. They're putting away these lesser teams, for lack of a better phrase, early. That being said, pump the brakes a little bit. The schedule is still the schedule. And a couple of things I'll point out is Giannis and Middleton. Middleton's doing great. Uh, his shooting's starting to come around more in the paint than away from the paint. It's really struggling outside the paint so far. But in the paint, he's been great. But the two of them on the court in these four games have only been together for, I think, 21 minutes, and they're only outscoring opponents by less than five points per 100 possessions. So it's it still needs some work, the two of them together. When it does start to work, then you look out. And the other thing I'll say is their upcoming schedule, they have 
a matchup with the Hornets, who I would assume the Bucks are going to be motivated for because the Hornets absolutely embarrassed yeah. them in the last meeting. 51 points in the first quarter with Giannis in there. It was that was an embarrassing display by the by the Bucks. So I gotta imagine they'll be ready for that one. Then you get the Clippers, who should, you know, have a healthy lineup, but who knows? Maybe Kawhi doesn't feel like playing that day. I don't know. <laughs> and then uh and then Miami. They're 0 2 this year, this month against Miami, 0 for the season, both coming a couple weeks ago. So there's some motivation for them to get better against teams that maybe they should uh they should take care of. Guys, I don't think it's any coincidence that this four-game winning streak has coincided with the return of Chris Middleton. Um, even though the numbers, you know, are, are not great, although I'm going to give you a couple in a minute that actually are pretty good. But and Ross, you can speak to this. He just is a calming presence on that team. Yeah. I get the feeling that when he is on the court or on the bench, but able to play. He just kind of gives them a certain kind of comfort zone that, you know, between he and Drew Holiday and 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 Giannis, I mean, it, having that third guy as, as opposed to just, you know, like Drew and Giannis makes a huge difference. I mean, he's only playing 15 and a half minutes in the four games, but he's getting 11 points in 15 and a half minutes, right? 3.8 assists. Those are big numbers. And he's only played 11 games this year, but the team's eight and three when he plays. So clearly, you know, that's a that's an excellent winning percentage. Uh, uh, but it's always but it but it's still all about Giannis. I mean, his last four games, he's averaging over 38, almost 13 boards. The team's averaging over 133 points in the streak. When Giannis is in the lineup, 27 and 12. When Giannis doesn't play, six and five. Yeah. Enough said. Yeah. There. For sure. And I, I tend to agree with you there, Bruce. I think uh, Chris Middleton definitely brings a calmness uh, to that ball club. I mean, he never gets too high, never gets too low. Even on nights he's not shooting the ball well, he's contributing on the other end defensively. He's able to guard multiple positions. He's obviously a leader vocally on that team. And he's been with Giannis since day one. I mean, uh, we acquired Chris Middleton when I was with the Bucks at the same time. Uh, that we had drafted Giannis. So th they've been through it all together from the highs, the lows to not being stars in this league together. So, you know, th there's really such a great partnership between those two guys. And, um, you know, you see it on a nightly basis when they're both able to be out there on the floor healthy with one another. And, um, you know, if he can continue to kind of ramp up his minutes and, and, and continue to consistently shoot the ball a little bit better, I think the Bucks are going to be a tough one to handle here down the stretch and into the postseason. I mean, look, you know, they're going to be missing Bobby Portis for a little while. He's going to be out yeah. for at least another week with a sprained right ankle and, a, and an MCL in his right knee. This guy is one of the candidates for sixth man of the year. I mean, coming off the bench, averaging 14 and 10 off the bench. I mean, those are huge numbers for a guy coming off the bench. Um, but Drew Holiday has really been the glue guy beyond Giannis on that team this year. I mean... He is routinely great every night. He plays both ends. He makes big plays. He has big cojones in crunch time. He doesn't make all those shots, but he grinds on defense. I mean, you always want him on the floor at the end of a game. Um, and I got to shout out a little bit to Brooke Lopez, too. Only guy on the team who's not missed a single game this year. He started every game, all 49. Um, 
He's a stretch five who shoots five threes a game. I mean, jacks up five of them a game, and he makes just under two. I mean, he's close to a 40% shooter out there. Uh, and still one of the elite rim protectors in the league. Two and a half blocks a game, second in the NBA. I mean, they, you know, watch out. I mean, Milwaukee, we haven't seen real Milwaukee yet, but maybe we're getting close to that point where we're going to. And here's the thing, too. You're right, Bruce. When you look at the East, take everybody at full strength. Who do you want? To, who do you least want to play in the playoffs? For me, it's the Bucks. Now you got to get everybody healthy, and they're starting to get healthy. So let's uh, let's see how it plays out. But if you take everybody, Sixers, Celtics, the Nets, I don't want to play the Bucks. Yeah. Oh hell no. <laughs> You know, and, you know, one little thing I noticed. I don't want to play the Nets either, or the Celtics, or the Sixers. But you know, if I had to choose, it'd be Milwaukee. You don't first. want to play anybody, world. I mean, I know, really don't. Ready. I just like the Knicks have a clear path to the finals. <laughs> Here's a weird little thing in their schedule, though, Russ. And I know you want to say something. That game against yeah. the Clippers on Thursday night. It's a home game in Milwaukee, but it's a ten o'clock start local time. That's Ooh. so weird for for an Eastern team to start a game at 10 o'clock. I mean, it's almost like you're giving the Clippers an advantage there by playing it kind of on their body clock instead of the home team's body clock. Well, they got yeah, to give, give Kawhi an extra hour of rest. You know, they got you know, <laughs> yeah. he, he needs that. Give him an extra uh, hour to decide or two hours to, yeah, exactly. to, to decide if he wants to play. Let him get some extra warm-up in. One other thing I want to mention on uh, – the Bucks. before we go to break here, not sure if you guys caught this, but Shams just reported that it, it, it appears that the general manager of the Bucks, John Horst, is starting to ramp up his efforts to try to acquire Jay Crowder. Seems like as of right now, that package is George Hill, Jordan Nuora, who's kind of the key piece in that, and Serge Ibaka, who's been told to stay home as they're trying to, you know, both parties have decided to try to move on and, and find a trade. Uh, and he's trying to acquire Jay Crowder. And the Bucks were just... Uh, granted permission by the Suns to actually have a meeting, a sit-down meeting with Jay Crowder. So everything is kind of intensifying there. Of course, the urgency of finding a guy like Jay certainly uh, is is key right now with Bobby Portis, as you said, going to be sidelined for a few weeks now. So let's keep an eye on the Bucks in that Jay Crowder situation because I think they're really going to try to find a way to to make that work. Hey, before we go to halftime, we have some breaking news. Uh, Michael Freer will be thrilled to know that the Orlando Magic beat the Philadelphia 76ers wow. on Monday night, 119 to 109. Paolo Bancaro, 29 and 10, uh, kind of outplayed Joel Embiid, although Joel held his own. But uh, Orlando, man, I mean, maybe you were right about those guys, world. That's two wins at Boston, another win at uh, Philadelphia, two of the best teams in the league. I mean, they're not playoff bound this year, but they'll uh, they'll make some noise in the future. They're yeah, making Philly some might have, Philly might have had a little too much fun partying last night with Michael Rubin, Kevin Hart, and a few others in that uh, Eagles suite. I saw a picture that was posted. It was Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid, P.J. Tucker, Tyrese Maxey. So a lot of key guys out late probably uh, having some fun watching the Eagles uh, go ahead and clinch a Super Bowl appearance, yeah. but now they can uh, watch that, a nice L in their in their. Uh, <laughs> well played, there will be. Well, we've gone ahead and reached the halftime buzzer, so we'll take a quick break and come back with you for the second half.
All right, we are back with our third quarter. And uh, what I really wanted to talk about with you guys here today is the rivalry week. And I almost want to spell week W-E-A-K because I'm not sure what you guys <laughs> took away from that rivalry week in the NBA. But uh, Bruce, let's go ahead and start with you and get your thoughts. There were 11 games last week designated by the league as rivalry games, okay? <laughs> but only about half of them really met that criteria, in my opinion. The Lakers-Celtics on Saturday certainly was. So was the Celtics' heat last Tuesday, the game that I attended, uh, which was a grind fest there. Those two, you know, the Celtics' heat and the Celtics-Lakers are legitimate rivalries. Had lots of playoff moments and lots of dislike between those two teams. And I'm going to say that the Clippers-Lakers and the Nets-Knicks are both geographical rivalries, so I'm buying those as rivalries, okay? Uh, and Brooklyn-Philly even had enough former teammates opposing each other that I'd say that one qualified. But some of these rivalry games <laughs> featured good individual matchups that are not rivalries. I mean, Denver-Philly was a great big man matchup with Jokic and Embiid, but it's not a rivalry. Okay. Charlotte, Chicago. You kidding me? That was supposed to be LaMelo versus Lonzo. Well, we know Lonzo couldn't even play. Uh, brother versus brother is really interesting. Not a rivalry. Toronto and Golden State played in the finals in 2019. Calling that a rivalry is a real stretch. Memphis had two rivalry games last week against the Warriors and the Timberwolves. Okay, NBA, if you say so. How about Dallas and Phoenix? Ross, is that a rivalry? No. I don't think so. I mean, obviously, there's a bad taste in the Suns' mouth from what transpired last year in Game 7 of the Western Conference. Or no, that was the semifinals. Uh, take that back. But no, I would not call that a rivalry what? these days. That was the that was the angle I'm sure they were playing for there with that one. It's just uh, it's just that match. I mean, if it was really rivalry week, why wouldn't uh, Miami New York? Yeah, right. Yeah, right. No, I, I the, the the other one that would make sense for a rivalry against the the Mavs and Suns is if we were still in the era of Steve Nash not resigning with the Mavericks and returning to Phoenix after uh, you know Cuban decided to let him walk, but. Since the Dirk and, and Nash days, I don't think that's a rivalry. And, of course, I mean, Booker's not even playing. And, and maybe that could have played a part in it being a rivalry. But even then, we're, we're really stretching it, as, as you pointed out there, Bruce. The best way to do this going forward, it, I don't fault the NBA for this attempt. I think it's a, a good idea. But this is a situation where you want to get – if you're going to do a rivalry week, either have actual rivalries, Lakers, Celtics, that that lasts no matter when you want to do it, or have it geographical like they have with the with yes. Brooklyn and New York. We have Sacramento playing the Lakers or or whatever or the Lakers Clippers. I mean it's a long week, so you can play both of them. Or have Golden State play um Golden State play Phoenix. That was you know for last year. You could set that up. That would be interesting. Even you can't plan ahead, obviously, but there are enough storylines to do it. Houston, San Antonio, or Houston, Dallas, whatever you want to do. You know, however you want to work it. There's enough ways to do it to make it work, I think. I just – they need to schedule a little bit better to make it they, – they did okay. They didn't do it as well as they probably could have. I think it's good that they're trying to gin up some rivalries because, look, I mean, it's not like we want to see any fistfights out there, but it's good to see – 
guys that don't really like each other, guys that, you know, you get knocked down on a trip to the basket instead of, you know, giving the guy a hand to help him up. Just kind of, you know, quietly walk away from it, say you come in the lane, you pay the price. That's to me what a rivalry is, is, is a physical battle, a mental battle, uh, dislike, but also history. You can't really be a rivalry unless there's some history between your teams. Are you, are you going to try and tell me that Memphis has some great history with the Minnesota Timberwolves, that that would rise <laughs> to the level of a rivalry game? I mean, who even has a rivalry with the Timberwolves? I mean, I don't even know who. Well, I, I would say Memphis has a rivalry against everyone but the Celtics this year based on John Morant's previous <laughs> comments that I will never forget, saying he's not worried about anybody. So I guess maybe that was the stretch they were going for. But, you know, my hope with this and talking about the rivalry week is the fact that, you know, hopefully we won't have to really focus in on this too too much longer. It, it, not sure where you guys stand on this, but it seems like a play-in tournament's bound to happen here soon, and this would be around the, the timing of when that play-in tournament might happen. So that maybe that we can do away with rivalry week, and if they're so gung-ho about putting in this uh, play-in tournament, then that would kind of take this place. It probably would. Uh, my initial thought every time I hear about it is I'm not a big fan of it. Um, yeah. But, I mean, if, it, if they can make it work somehow, you have to try. I'm also a big believer. While I don't – I'm not particularly a big fan of it, I am also a fan of trying things for to make things better, evolving. You have to do it. You have to do it in all sports. I think the NBA is trying to do that. Um they tr they're doing with the playing tournament became a real success to the point where they're keeping it going. Uh, so there's, there's an opportunity. I would give Adam Silver and those guys uh, enough leeway to try and make, see if there's a, something they can do to make it interesting. I, my initial thought is I'm not a big fan of it. Bruce, what's your thoughts on the playing tournament? Um, the, the biggest benefit of it in my mind is that, it keeps fans of more teams involved down the stretch of the season. I mean, look, if you're if you're in the old days, what like three years ago, if you were in tenth place at the end of let's say February, you might start losing a little bit of interest because you know you're six games out of the eighth spot and you're probably not going to make the playoffs. But now with the play-in tournament, you know it really allows four additional teams and their fan bases to stay actively involved in the season. Uh, it's probably very good for the local broadcasters because their their ratings will be better because the games are still um, meaningful. So I think, you know, on balance, I guess it's okay. But, you know, if you're the team that finishes seventh uh, or eighth, and let's say there's a big gap between eight and then nine and 10, you know, you're not too happy because, you know, you, you should have been in the playoffs, but now you have to earn your way in. Yeah, good, good point. I think the best way to do the play-in tournament, and this is just Fantasyland dream here, is if somehow they were able to incorporate that Elam ending that they do in the All-Star game now. I think that's mm -hmm. a lot of fun for the All-Star game where they have just the ending on a certain that. point. Yeah, I mean, they'll never do it for a play-in tournament I, I, in the regular season, but wouldn't that be great? I would love to see it, and it'll never happen, or it won't happen for a long, 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 long time. 
but I would love to see it in the playoffs. I would. I love that the way they do that. I think it's the best. And that's another. By the way, that's another thing. Talking about trying to make change, trying to do things, trying to evolve. The way they did that for the All Star game. That's another example, and it works. And yep. it, you've seen the last couple of games have been really competitive down the stretch. I love that. That's what we want out of the All Star game. At the end of the day, that's what I want anyway. Is it competitive? The best guys going at it as hard. I just have to remember, you know, have somebody yell at me, hey, it's the fourth quarter, and then I'll turn it on. That could be a good thing for the G League to implement because really the G yes, League yeah. standings, it's really just a developmental league. So nobody yep. really cares who wins the G League championship, right? I don't know that there's any financial benefit to anyone. So that's a really good sort of laboratory for trying stuff like this. And I think it would also lead to more interest in the G League because people seem to like the the whole concept. Well, Bruce, when I get to be the GM of, of the Lakeland team down here, I'll uh you know, we're 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 campaigning for that quietly here, but we you know it's we'll uh, have to get louder. That'll be my first rule. I'll I'll take to the board of governors. Ross, you do realize you've created a monster with this guy, right? I did. You get, I, I you promoted him last week, now. and now he's not giving it up the job. <laughs> I'm not giving yeah. it up. I can hitchhike down there. I'm I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm starting to regret my uh, my content oh. idea from last week's podcast. No take backs. Uh, no take backs. Well, no take backs. We'll, we'll we'll continue to have fun with that. But you better that not goes ahead and me. Leave. I'll never shut up if you do that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that gets us right into our fourth quarter, and it's time for our mailbag, listener-submitted questions. So I want to thank all of you that uh, are listening in and submitting questions. We'll, we'll surely continue to ask for them. So if you see one of our promotions for uh, an upcoming podcast or if I pose a question to you all seeking some questions, go ahead and uh, hit us up. We're definitely looking forward to hearing from you. And tonight we're going to start off with a question from John. And John wants to know, can the magic become them? And that was a capital them with all these guys, or do they need a him? And uh, is that something, you know, the him is something that has really gone viral. And so he's wondering if there is a him on their roster. And for those of you that might not follow what the him reference means, uh, it, it, remain, it means that I remain on top. Nobody can stop me. I'm a top dog. And so, you know, there's a good another good example. There's a good uh, Knicks post game interview in the locker room after Brunson had a tremendous game on the road in Indiana, and some of the Knicks players in their post game interviews were referring to Jalen as Jalen Brunts him. So hopefully that gives you a little bit more of a background on the context of the question. But we'll be since this is a Magic question, we'll go ahead and start with you. Is there a him on the Orlando Magic, a top dog that you know? You can you can point to right now, or do you think they still need to go out and acquire one? Well, first thing first, I'm so glad you're on the show because you're you're way more hip than I am. I <laughs> never would have figured that out. You're 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 we need you on this show for many reasons, that being one of them. Right. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate. I it. think they have a chance to have that kind of guy in uh, Paolo Bancaro. I think he has thirty point a night potential. I think they will start to gravitate towards him being that guy. That Unintended. Kind of, there you go. <laughs> uh, I think, you know, he'll, he'll be that guy that you, you know, you think has to be uh, the man for lack of a, you know, to use another phrase. And yeah. 
But they also have a lot of. I've said it you know, to death. They have a lot of pieces, young, talented pieces on that roster. Not just young guys. Well, there's a lot of teams out there with young guys. These are young, talented players. And whether they end up in Orlando or they make a trade for the star to come in, I don't know who that would be. I think um, they have a good. They're in a good position right now. I think. I don't have a whole lot on this topic, but I agree with World B. If there's anyone on the Magic that has the potential to be the type of badass that that him label implies, I'd have to go with Paolo Bancaro him. Ah, love it. All right. Well, John, thank you so much for the question. We surely do appreciate it. Our next one is a very interesting question brought, brought in uh, by Stephen. As he pointed out that uh, an NBA fan on Reddit thinks the Memphis Grizzlies scorekeeper is intentionally inflating Jaron Jackson Jr.'s home stats this season. And he specifically uh, is looking into the blocks and steals category. And uh, the Redditor even provided a timestamp examples of some of these blocks and steals and thinks it might have something to do with the current defensive player of the year betting odds. So he wants to know our thoughts on this all. And Bruce, you brought it to our attention. So, uh, very curious to hear what you have to say on tonight's show. Well, the examples of the quote-unquote blatant overcounting have been examined by some others, especially on Twitter. I didn't look at all of the examples, but I looked at a few, and they looked mostly inconclusive to me. I mean, Kevin O'Connor of The Ringer, who's uh, you know a really keen observer of the game, uh, looked at some of them, and he felt that most of them looked legit. Uh, and he even raised the point, is it possible the Triple J's stats on the road are being undercounted. <laughs> yeah, something something to think about. Yeah, and I, I saw that the NBA already came out and squashed this. They denied it, and even Grizzlies head coach Taylor Jenkins was asked about this and said the ac accusation is foolish. So, you know, my thoughts are this on this. I mean, I don't think it's widely inconsistent. I went and reviewed some of the clips that the redditor had posted as well. And uh, the way I look at it, going kind of back, Bruce, to your balls and strikes with LeBron is, you know, this is no different than baseball when a home player has a hitting streak or simply makes good contact. And sometimes the home score gives them the benefit of the doubt or on the flip side in baseball. You know, if you got a, a shortstop that's in the running for a gold glove this year at the end of the season and someone hits a laser to him and he doesn't catch it, sometimes they go, oh, you know, that's a hit. And I, I don't think it's any different than any other sport. I, I'm just a huge basketball and baseball fan, so I'm going to use the analogy to, to what I see in baseball that happens from time to time. And, uh, yeah, I think Kevin O'Connor said of of the 66 blocks on the year that Jaron Jackson Jr. Ha, uh, has, he said about three of them looked like they were blatantly obvious, incorrect calls. But, I mean, three of 66, that's not something that really worries me. Will be, what's your take? Here's the thing on Jaron Jackson. His MVP, uh, defensive player of the year candidacy or campaign isn't based on how many blocks he has. It's the impact he has on that team's defense. And the fact is, when he is on the court, they are giving up eight fewer points per 100 possessions than when he's off the court. And that's far and away highest on the team. So he is having an impact when they have – when he's on the court defensively, whether it gets blocks or not. They became one of the best defensive teams in the league the minute he got healthy and showed up. I don't know how many blocks he's averaging or whatever. I don't care. 
I know the impact he has in that team's defense. That is where you get his his uh, defensive player of the year uh, campaign going. You know, this is hardly the first time any controversies like this have popped up. And, and World B, you'll you'll remember this one, I'm sure. Back when John Stockton was playing, there were rumors that the Utah home scorekeeper was giving him assists that were sketchy. Now, I got no evidence of any of that, but I remembered hearing some chatter about it back in the day. And he has 3,715 more assists than the number two guy on the list, who happens to be Jason Kidd. So, I mean, I'm not saying that it's illegitimate, but this, you know, I remember, you know, the Utah scorekeeper was under scrutiny for this 20-plus years ago. And by the way, on a serious note here, if you're going to – if people are going to make accusations, you better darn well be right about it because now you're insulting someone's integrity and doing yeah. their job. If, you know, you just, you just point out the Memphis scorekeeper or the Jazz scorekeeper, but, well, that's fine. It doesn't have a name. But there's somebody that's doing that job and if they're not doing the job, that's one thing. But if they are doing it, you're just making up crap just to get noticed. You're really putting a bad light on somebody who's not doing anything wrong. And that's that's really out of line. And if, if, it's, if it's true, then the guy gets what he gets. If it's not true, don't do that. I mean, that's just garbage. Well said there will be. And uh, we want to thank John for submitting his magic question as I had the opportunity to educate my co-host on him so we can maybe use that moving forward. And uh, also want to thank Stephen for the great question. And thanks for pointing that out to us so that we could discuss that on the show. Uh, certainly was fun kind of just going back and forth and giving our thoughts on that whole entire situation. So want to encourage everybody else to continue to submit questions and we look forward to receiving them here in the future. And with that, that leads me right into my best bets sec uh, section of the show. And I want to go into hot player values current currently to be had on the sports books. And the first one I'm going to start with is uh, the game promo leading score of the game. All right. And Brandon Ingram, was a plus 1,500 on Saturday at home against the Wizards, even after head coach Willie Green came out and said that B.I. would have his minutes increased for that outing. So despite just falling short of earning a game high with points, uh, he ended with 22. C.J. McCollum had 24. The odds were absolutely absurd. So keep an eye on Brandon Ingram. Since his return, he's averaging 18-plus shot attempts in 25-plus minutes a game, so you're getting the volume and shots there, giving yourself a chance. And he sat out the Pelicans back-to-back -back on Sunday night versus Milwaukee, so especially uh, keep an eye out for Ingram and what the odds might be for him tomorrow night, which will be Tuesday night uh, as the Pelicans visit the Nuggets in Denver. And um, my next one is a same-game parlay ad, and I've got my eyes set on – Toronto Raptor, Precious Achua. Achua has posted a double-double in two of his past three games. And in those three games, he's attempted 12-plus shots. He's a hyperactive, versatile big man that's certainly stolen some minutes from Chris Boucher and is seeing extended time now after OG Ananobi took a very hard fall on his shoulder and wrist area Friday night in Golden State. So at this time, it seems like the books really haven't gotten a good gauge on where to set Achua's line. So I would recommend a solid, safe baseline for Achua right now to be 12 points, eight rebounds, and feel that's a very great value to add into the mix for a parlay. 
So keep an eye on those two for your best bets. And that leads us right to final thoughts for tonight's show, guys. Uh, Bruce, do you want to lead us off with your final thought? Yeah. I mean, a team that we really haven't talked about a whole lot uh, that's having a nice run right now are the Washington Wizards. Uh, They have a five-game winning streak uh, through Sunday's games. They're playing the Spurs on Monday night, uh, and they're ahead uh, by eight points with about eight and a half minutes to go. Uh, When Bradley Beal returned on January 18th, the Wizards have won all five games that he's played. We know about the Rui Hachimura trade on January 23rd. Since that trade, they've won three in a row. Um, And uh, even though Kristaps Porzingis missed the previous three games prior to Monday, they were all wins. So it looks like uh, with with Rui Hachimura's minutes down, some other front court guys are going to get a chance to make contributions. And again, Bradley Beal is the best player on that team and has been for years. So having him back uh, makes a difference. So uh, look for uh, them to make a little run at the play-in tournament, and uh, we'll see if they're successful. Will be? Well, this is becoming the kiss of death for the teams that I mentioned and discussed. Uh, just go back and look at my touting of the Pelicans a few weeks ago. But I'm going to do it again. I'm going to give you my team not to sleep on. And it, this week it's don't sleep on Minnesota. Minnesota yeah. is 11-4 and four in January. They've won three straight. They've beaten the Pelicans, the Grizzlies, and the Kings. Uh, Monday night they're in a battle to try and get a back-to-back sweep over the Kings. They're last checking with uh, Nip and Tuck in the fourth quarter, so they have a shot at doing that. Uh, somehow in, in the whole mix, they preceded the winning streak by losing to the Rockets. Go figure. That snapped the Rockets' 13-game losing streak. So very nice, very charitable of the T-Wolves to pull that off. But they're they're doing it without Carl uh, Anthony Towns. They're getting all-star level performers from Anthony Edwards, as I mentioned last week, how I think he should be on the team. And now it's starting to gain some steam where he's actually under consideration, thanks to me. Thanks to you. <laughs> thanks to me. Um, <laughs> and they entered Monday just a half a game out of fourth place in the West, which would be obviously hosting the playoff series. And nobody would have thought that uh, before the season started or even once uh, Carl Anthony Towns went down. So they're playing well. Let's see if they can keep it going, obviously. But 11-4 uh, and is 11-4 in January. That's not bad. And as for my final thought, I want to keep a focus in on the Dallas Mavericks. I think that organization is starting to really feel the pressure uh, of, of trying to keep Luka Doncic help, happy here in this situation, not having much help around him as we are taping right now. They're actually now losing uh, to the Detroit Pistons, despite Luka having 20 points uh, with about eight minutes to go in the third quarter. And uh, a name that's popped up as someone they might be willing to part with, Dorian Finney-Smith. Um, he is a nice little secret there in Dallas. I, I know that Utah has come out as a team that's uh, been interested in his services, but we're talking about a guy that can certainly space the floor as a three and D defender. He's on a very team friendly contract having signed this past off season. I think it's $44 million, two years left and uh, could provide a, a tremendous value to some of these big, bigger name teams or, or teams that have stars on their bench uh, that, that are maybe not healthy right now or not really fitting in. Maybe like even a team like Toronto that could use a shakeup. So keep an eye on the Mavericks here at the deadline. Uh, That's my final thought here tonight. I think they might try to, you know, make sure they don't waste another historic Lucas season. But 
Other than that, if that's all we've got here tonight, that will do it for this edition of the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back with you this Friday to be sure you're all up to date in 48 on all things around the association. But in the meantime, be sure to hit that subscribe button and be sure to spread the good word about the podcast. Take care, everybody.